0: Those of us who live here, we're sharing the island with throngs of people about 10 weeks out of the year. And then maybe another 10 weeks out of the year where there are many people here. And then the rest of the time, there is no traffic. There is no traffic jam. Mm -hmm. There's just beautiful Mother Nature. And I will tell you, it is a very, very seductive beauty. There's something magical about not only living by the sea and getting to walk on a beach every day, but there's something magical here in Martha's Vineyard that that I think keeps people here and keeps people returning year after year. That's
1: Nancy Gardella, Executive Director of the Martha's Vineyard Chamber of Commerce. As many of you know, Martha's Vineyard is one of our favorite destinations and we travel to the island almost on an annual basis but our last visit unveiled some surprising history. Welcome, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And
2: I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Martha's Vineyard is seen as a vacation playground for the rich and famous. It is not uncommon to have a celebrity sighting on the island, but today, many travelers hope for an Obama sighting during their stay. As Nancy reveals the vineyard's troubling story of colonization, she also shares the island's surprising legacy of sign language.
0: While Martha's Vineyard does receive a lot of notoriety and attention for some of its more well-known vacationers and residents, the vast majority of people on Martha's Vineyard are just regular people who have fallen madly in love with this island. And I think that that has been true for millennia. Um, Like a lot of pretty places, it was The landmass was dramatically impacted through various ages. At one point, Martha's Vineyard was technically connected to Cape Cod and separated over time. And when it separated, the people that remained on Martha's Vineyard were members of the Wampanoag tribe who referred to the island as Noepe and farmers and they coexisted very peacefully and very happily. The farmers worked the land, and the members of the tribe were whalers and they were fishermen. And so they understood the sea and the area around it. And then the farmers, you know, moved sheep around the island and the United States started to be colonized. The Northeast coast started to be colonized. And in 1602, a British sailor named Bartholomew Gosnold sailed from the UK, landed on Cape Cod. And decided to name Cape Cod after the fish, and then got in his boat for a few for a little bit, and arrived on Martha's Vineyard, and decided since he had already named something after the fish, that he would go ahead and name this landmass after his first child Martha, who had been born and baptized just before he left, um, and the viney undergrowth. So came Martha's Vineyard. Well, and that's of course where the trouble started. And that's the story of colonization, isn't it? Um, is You know, people come, they they think they're bringing gifts and they're discovering a new land. And what they're actually doing for the people whose land they're, for all intents and purposes, are invading is bringing disease. They enslaved both the farmers and the members of the Wampanoag tribe. They sent many of those slaves back to the UK. And they started changing the name. It went from Nuepe to Martha's Vineyard. They started changing historical sites. But what was a little bit unusual about the Martha's Vineyard colonization story, at least for the Wampanoag tribe, is that when those enslaved tribal members arrived in England, the homes that they went into quickly realized that this was a very sophisticated Native American. This was not a nomadic tribe. These were tribes with homes. They didn't leave Martha's Vineyard, other than to fish and to whale. They were very educated. They had a sophisticated language. In fact, they had an alphabet, a written language, as well as a spoken language. In fact, many of those who were enslaved um, rose to elevated positions in households and were set free because they were considered more sophisticated. They were not considered savages. They were more sophisticated. Now, it you know took 20 years, so I'm, uh, please don't get me wrong. This slavery was slavery. However, um, in a very sort of interesting twist, the very first Bible published in the United States was published in the Wampanoag language. Indeed. The first Holy Bible, published anywhere in
1: the Western Hemisphere, was written in the Wampanoag language. It contained both the Old and New Testaments.
2: The Bible was ordered by the commissioners of the United Colonies in New England for the purpose of spreading the gospel to the Indians of New England. The work was done by John Eliot, an English missionary in New England, who was helped by Native American assistants.
1: About a thousand Bibles were printed, but only 42 are known to be in existence today. One Wampanoag Bible was purchased by the Friends of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign Library to mark the 5 millionth
0: volume added to the university's collections. What the, uh, the folks who were colonizing did bring though was all kinds of people, primarily from the UK, who Quickly realized that whaling, um, there was a lot of money to be made in whaling. And so a lot of a lot of people seeking a new life and people seeking riches arrived on our shores, on Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, Nantucket, and beyond. And several of those people got into whaling. And as distasteful as we find whaling now, At that time and and beyond, um, whaling really fueled the Industrial Revolution. And it was a really hard task to go out on what was a relatively small boat, what we would think of as a small boat today, with handheld harpoons try to hunt and kill a whale, and then bring it home, you know, in, in one piece, right. because there's all predators following them. Right. So very ambitious. Uh, it's not an easy way to like make a living was whaling. However, the oil that was expressed from these from these whales mm-hmm. um, was like gold. And so industry took off. Now, some of the people who came to the United States in the early 1700s, were from uh, a part of England, a series of extended families. And they first settled in Plymouth, and then a group of those families broke off and came to Martha's Vineyard. And they really were more farmers and merchants. And those families set up their home in an area of Martha's Vineyard known as Chilmark. Turned out that in that family, there was a genetic hearing disorder, and for a period of almost 150 years, one in four people was completely deaf. Now part of what makes the Martha's Vineyard story so distinctive and remarkable was that these deaf members of the community were in no way ostracized. They weren't thought of as disabled or slow or mm-hmm. stupid in any way. In fact, people who were completely deaf married hearing people, had children who may or may not have had the genetic hearing disorder. They owned businesses, they owned land, they held political office, and so on. They were an integral and seamless members of the community. But people had to communicate with one another. And so the family that had come had their own sign language, if you will. It wasn't an alphabet. It was a series of hand gestures that involved, that could encompass entire conversations with the hand gestures. And that sign language just grew bigger and bigger as the family grew on Martha's Vineyard. Keep in mind that at that time, cousins married, and, you know, an extended family would come this just genetic hearing disorder, was just passed through the generations and did not begin to dissipate until well into the 1800s, that latter half of the 1800s. For almost 150 years, one in four people was completely deaf. So now you've got this really diverse community on 100 square miles of all of these different people working together to live together and to live pretty peacefully together so martha's vineyard from early on was a really diverse place to live
2: you're listening to the award-winning world footprints podcast with ian and tanya fitzpatrick world footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences Discover the world through stories at WorldFootprints.com and make sure to subscribe to the World Footprints newsletter for compelling and exclusive content.
1: Here's more of our conversation with Nancy Garadella from the Martha's Vineyard Chamber of Commerce. The sign language that was created on Martha's Vineyard was a precursor to American sign language. People on Martha's Vineyard use sign as naturally as spoken English and in every combination between Deaf people, between Deaf and hearing, and even between one hearing person to another.
2: The language didn't belong to the Deaf community. It belonged to the township of Chilmark where the Deaf community settled. There are no monuments to the Chilmark Deaf community and their contributions to American Sign Language. But there is a Deaf Heritage Trail on Martha's Vineyard that identifies important points of interest. The trail was created in order to preserve and showcase the Deaf community's legacy.
0: This Deaf Heritage Trail has become a passion project for me, but only very recently. I'm new to this story. What I had known for a number of years is that every year we would have inquiries by email and in person of members of the hearing impaired community would arrive on Martha's Vineyard and say, we know that Martha's Vineyard was the birthplace of American Sign Language. How could, where's the story? How do we find the markers? Where's the history? And there was nowhere except for in the town of Chilmark at the Chilmark Library, mm-hmm. there's a wonderful permanent exhibition that tells a little bit of the story, but there were no markers around the, com- the community. Now, when I was asked about this, I didn't even know I knew that there were deaf families, but I had no idea that they actually contributed to the development of American Sign Language as we know it as a language. And very simply, um, a French gentleman named Gaudet had developed a sign language, an alphabet, a signed alphabet. Um, And he brought that to the United States, to New England, started a school in New England, and young people from Martha's Vineyard were sent to that school. And they, of course, learned the alphabet, but what they brought with them was all of their signs. And the school quickly realized that there was a shorthand rather than have to rely on strictly spelling, there could be a whole shorthand of signs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the two were integrated to create American Sign Language as we know it today. And if you do any research about the the development of what for all intents and purposes is truly a new language, you will read of the history of the deaf community on Martha's Vineyard. So it's a tremendous contribution to the world. And we were asked by a woman who teaches um, sign language in a very uh, elementary form. She's not an advanced instructor. Um, She's got a wonderful story of learning sign language because her, her husband, lost his, was losing his hearing very quickly because of an illness. And they were finding they couldn't talk to each other. He couldn't hear her. And then he was very self-conscious of the fact that he couldn't hear her. And they felt like they couldn't talk to each other. And one day she simply said, what if we just learn sign language? And then we can keep talking to each other. And they did. And so she has been doing, she did a ton of research. She brought this to me and said, could the chamber help me get the word out? And we, we talked to the folks at the Martha's Museum and we partnered together to actually create a heritage trail, a Deaf heritage trail
1: The Deaf Heritage Trail is a self-driving tour and it consists of 10 points of interest, including the Chilmark Public Library, which was a former home of Katie West, the last native speaker of Martha's Vineyard Sign Language.
2: Martha's Vineyard is doing an exceptional job of celebrating and preserving the island's history. In addition to the Deaf Heritage Trail, There's a cultural center that's dedicated to the indigenous community, and there is an African American Heritage Trail that showcases the legacy of African Americans on the island. On another podcast, we talked about this trail and the grant it received from the National Trust for Historic Preservation.
0: The African American Heritage Trail was conceived by an educator from Ireland, a woman named Elaine Weintraub. And Elaine realized um, that there were such a rich and complex history of Native Americans, of Black people on Martha's Vineyard, starting long before the Underground Railroad and rapidly um, increasing as Martha's Vineyard became a place where people, particularly along the East Coast from Philadelphia northward, started to feel like Martha's Vineyard could be the place for their second home, a place where they could spend their summers. And so Elaine conceived of this trail, the African-American Heritage Trail, and it is a series of markers. In fact, the 34th marker will be in place, I believe, next month. Um, But it is a tremendous way for people of all cultures to appreciate the contributions of the African-American community to Martha's Vineyard for centuries. Um, And not unlike the Deaf community, it is a contribution that deserves to be told. And I think that it, um, it allows people to feel like they belong to this island, that there's, knowing that there's this history here, um, that they can belong, that they do belong here, um, that they can own it, and that the island is welcoming. Um, I I think that all of us dream about a day where there will be one place to to tell these stories. Um, The Wampanoag tribe of of Aquinnah, developed with the town of aquina our westernmost town the town with the beautiful clay cliffs Mm -hmm. Um, there's actually an aquina cultural center that celebrates the contributions of those original islanders both the farmers and the whalers Um, the caucasian people and the tribal people who whaled together who worked the land who believed that that area of the island was actually sacred, um, as evidenced in a recent documentary released by NOVA of when, uh, because of coastal erosion, the lighthouse in Aquinnah had to be moved. And so it had to be moved away from the edge because of it increased coastal erosion. And the 24 hours it actually took to be moved, even though there was torrential rain for 20 Three and a half of those 24 hours, members of the town and the tribe stood and witnessed the moving of the lighthouse and chanted for, and for all intents and purposes, prayed for the successful moving of the lighthouse because it is such an important part of the story of Aquinnah. I'm even getting a little chills as I'm talking about it. But it's a wonderful celebration, and having these, the Aquinicultural Cultural Center, the Deaf Heritage Trail, and the critically important African American Heritage Trail are wonderful ways that we can celebrate the diverse contributions that have made Martha's Vineyard what it is.
2: There's so much more to Martha's Vineyard, and we'll be sharing more stories in the coming weeks.
1: But we couldn't end our conversation with Nancy without asking her about plans to ease traffic and improve cell phone capabilities. For those of you who have traveled to the vineyard, you know exactly what I mean. Well, Tanya,
0: yes. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> so, so um, sometimes things move slowly on Martha's Vineyard. There's a there's the audience that has a a deep, deep belief in in the old school. Uh, deep roots of things, uh, evidenced by the fact that three towns on this island um, only got wired for Wi-Fi um- about five years ago. So when you were vacationing in Chilmark, you were really vacationing. You were really (laughs) off the grid. Um, There are also a couple of towns on Martha's Vineyard that have yet to repeal Prohibition. So nothing is fast moving. However, I will say this. The proof is in the pudding. We do have a roundabout, our Mm -hmm. first ever on the island. Mm -hmm. And it did not bring the culture as we know it to an end. It did not destroy the spirit of Martha's Vineyard as some had feared. And I think that imperial evidence gives us confidence that we could address traffic issues um, in the future in a more speedy way than that 18-year debate took. So yes, I think great minds are working on that. Hallelujah.
2: (laughs) Since Nancy is a full-time resident on Martha's Vineyard, we asked her about the things she loves and appreciates about the island.
0: Oh, there's so much. So I moved here 15 years ago. And when I moved here, people who lived here said, it's going to be different. And I thought, oh, I've moved plenty of times. So I can deal with it. It's different. Living on an island is very, very different. But I think that what I appreciate the most is the natural beauty of Martha's Vineyard when folks visit for a day sometimes they're only in one of or two of the three port towns and so their perception might be that it's super crowded and you know throngs of people and and the truth is that that there are three other towns on the island where you could visit and hardly even know it's august many days but that those of us who live here We're sharing the island with throngs of people about 10 weeks out of the year. And then maybe another 10 weeks out of the year where there are many people here. And then the rest of the time, there is no traffic. There is no traffic jam. Mm -hmm. There's just beautiful Mother Nature. And I will tell you, it is a very, very seductive beauty. There's something magical about... Not only living by the sea and getting to walk on a beach every day, but there's something magical here in Martha's Vineyard that that I think keeps people here and keeps people returning year after year. Yeah, is do you have a
1: special place on the island? A place you like to go? Like
0: a favorite? I have several. <laughs> But I'll share a couple of with you. Sometimes when I just need to feel the expanse of the world, I love to climb to the top of the Aquinnah Lighthouse and do a 360-degree turnaround and feel like I'm just at the top of the world. It's so beautiful. And what I've discovered in the last couple of years is that there are more hiking, walking, and biking trails than I ever knew. There's a wonderful free app called Trails MV that will give people miles of wonderful walking trails. So if you're just a weekend walker or you're a hardcore hiker, you are going to be in Mother Nature, loving what you see in these pristine trails. Of course, we had to end with this question.
1: If you could share a meal at a fine restaurant on Martha's Vineyard with anyone past or present, who would that be? Asking her about the restaurant she'd choose would be a loaded question. So I didn't ask.
0: Well, the good news is, is that there you would be hard-pressed to find a bad meal on Martha's Vineyard. And it doesn't matter if you're sitting in a five-star restaurant or on a picnic table. The food is going to be good. It's one of the big perks of living here. Um, I think I would love to uh, to have shared this with my grandfather. The first time I visited Martha's Vineyard, my grandparents took a picture of me standing on the cliffs with the, the lighthouse in Aquinnah in the background and um and my grandfather taught me about mother nature and so i think i would love to have shared that with him but i'm so fortunate and i and i think this is what everyone who lives here finds is there are no shortage of friends and family who come to visit you so (laughs) i have had the opportunity and continue to to share with people i love
1: nancy in the spirit of martha's vineyard i'm going to say Thank you, with the little bit of sign language that I know. (laughs) Oh, that was lovely. Thank you so much for having me. I found this interview to be so compelling and I cannot wait until we dive into some of the other interviews we're planning for Martha's Vineyard in the future weeks. The one thing that I am very pleased about is that Martha's Vineyard is not shy about sharing any of their troubling past.
2: It's great to see the island and the people who are responsible for presenting Martha's Vineyard to the world to embrace the notion of these full narratives of telling true stories that speak to history, that speak to the truth, and allow people to get a richer perspective about what life was like on the island, and there are so many interesting communities on the island. Uh, Again, for many people, they may not know about the deaf community. They may not know about uh, the African American community on the island, so it's great to see that these communities are being brought uh, to light. Uh, Even uh, even the Wampanoag, who have uh, been there before any of these groups.
1: Well, and you introduced me to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, So you were going to the island uh, before we even met, and we've been several times. So I'm curious, what surprised you, if anything, uh, from our interview with Nancy, and what have you learned from your multiple visits to Martha's Vineyard?
2: I didn't know about the deaf community in Chilmark. I have been to Chilmark. We've been there on... A number of trips and uh, to uh, learn that there was this community that uh, had uh, developed there that was you know a big part of industry and whaling.
1: So in closing I thought it would be interesting to reflect on these words from Mark Twain the very ink with which history is written is merely fluid prejudiced. Let's let that sit for a second. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we thank you for choosing to spend this time with us. Thank you so much for your support and for giving us the space to share the world through the stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes, and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.